On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we jump right into local college football with a preview of the OU Iowa State game with Travis Hines. Travis covers Iowa State for two different newspapers and also does radio there in Iowa. Also, we discuss Oklahoma State's tough matchup with Kansas. In the National College Football Roundup, we look at some of the big news in college football and talk about a few of the games we're looking forward to this weekend. We give you our winners and losers of the week and wet the beak with Sunday's matchup between the Dallas Cowboys and the Cleveland Browns. To finish up, we discuss the big merger between two Oklahoma businesses in keeping it local. Please download, subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. My man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, October 1st, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts couldn't be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night. During game one of the NBA Finals, uh, I'll just say it now, Miami Heat in six. Uh, I like it. I, I think they're the grittier team. I know that the Lakers have the two best players with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, but it just seems like there's something about the Heat this year. Teddy, I know that we've gotten away from talking about basketball ever since football started and the Thunder got eliminated from the playoffs, but I love what I've seen from the Miami Heat. And they've got like four or five guys that can guard LeBron. And that zone has given everyone trouble that they've thrown at people. So uh, I like the Heat. I think they are. They got a better shooting team as well. Give me the Heat. I I love the pick. I really do. I love the pick. Um, I do not want to watch the Lakers win a championship. I do not want to watch LeBron James win a championship. Call me a hater if you would like. Um, I hope the Heat win it. My what I'm worried about with the heat is I don't know that anyone expected him to be here. Everyone. It was just, it's going to be a cruise for Milwaukee. Milwaukee is going to be there in the end against the Lakers or the Clippers. It's a done deal. So I'm worried that the heat feel like we're on house money, whatever. From this point on, we made the NBA finals. No one expected that. 
and maybe they lose a game or two early and they just kind of throw in the towel. Hopefully they don't do that, but that's my worry. But I do love the grittiness, the scrappiness, all I of just, that. <laughs> I don't think Jimmy Butler would let him do that. I, you may be right, man. He's, this, I, I believe this with every ounce of my being. Jimmy Butler thinks he's better than LeBron. He does. He, he's the only guy on that court that's like, you know what? I'm better than that guy. And that attitude, I, I love it. And I think you can see it with that team. Clearly, Hero has never seen a shot he doesn't like, and he probably should be that way because the dude could shoot the absolute lights out of the ball. Duncan Robinson's kind of found his groove. I, I just – I like the heat, man. We'll, we'll hey. see, but – Heat and six. That's what I'm saying. There's nothing I would love more for them to do that. And a guy that nobody knew before the bubble in Hero all of a sudden being a national icon for hitting a game winner against LeBron would be total 2020, and I'm down for that. Well, I just don't know who the Lakers' third guy is. That's that's my concern. It's like I trust like five guys for Miami, but it's LeBron, Anthony Davis, and then what? Playoff Rondo? Like, uh, Kuzma? I don't know, man. Give me the heat. Come on, heat. Let's go. No one wants to see the Lakers win. All right, let's move on to local college football. And that's brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Ale Works. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing. And there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Ale Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It's made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. Will & Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you, and go follow them on social media at, at Will & Wiley. If you're drinking some because of us, tag us in your social media posts to let them know. We're starting to get tagged in a lot of those. And I like, <laughs> I like it. it. I like I it. I like it. A uh, few bits of OU news before we preview OU Iowa State with Travis Hines. Uh, this just in, they aren't happy that they lost last weekend. I don't know if you could tell from Shocking. all the things that Lincoln Riley and the players have said in their media availability. Can you believe that, Ted? They, they don't like losing. I don't, <laughs> what I don't a get shocker. It. I don't get it with this group. I don't understand that. <laughs> it's just like people writing articles about it. I'm like, I, I guess. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. Um, now, two important pieces of news. Doesn't sound like Braden Willis will be available this weekend. Uh, we all saw him take that nasty shot to the knee against K-State. Got put in a bad spot there. There's no doubt. But So we're going to have to see you know, guys like Mikey Henderson, uh, Jeremiah Hall. They're going to ask Stogner to do some more things. So luckily, Shane Beamer – has a lot of options in that tight end and H-back room, but you hate to see a guy like Willis miss the opener because of Corona and then gets hurt in his first game of the year. That, that just sucks because he's a hardworking player. He gives him versatility, formational versatility, hard matchup for defenses, does a lot of the dirty work. So just hate it for that kid. That sucks. Yeah, I do too. Uh... You know, he brings some really good size and athleticism to that position. I will say, though, I mean, shockingly, I guess it's not shocking, but Oklahoma has like five guys at that position that you trust to put out there. So, um, you know, Mikey Henderson, who's a guy that looked fantastic in week one. I mean, I don't even know that he saw the field in week two. 
because Braden Willis was back and that's just how good that group is. They've got three guys that can go and, you know, I wouldn't expect to have much fall off there with Mikey Henderson back in and, you know, still, still be a, a good bunch that blocks well. And we've seen that group pr- provide tons of big plays so far, just two weeks in. Yeah. And lastly, uh, sounds like we're going to see Obi Obialo for the first time. Uh, they were very excited with what they saw from him in training camp. They like him a lot. And it sounds like he's healthy enough to go. So th- this is really boring, and I know it's boring, but wide receiver blocking is going to be very important in this football game. This is an old guy, a physically mature guy that's not going to be afraid to mix it up with those physical defensive backs from Iowa State. So clearly I'm excited to see what he can do as a receiver, but this also gives you a more physical presence in the slot, a guy that can mix it up a little more because that's one thing that's really difficult is these wide receivers having to dig out these secondary support players, these safeties spinning down from everywhere, that middle safety they call kind of a robber guy, him coming in, factoring into the run fit. Like wide receiver blocking is hard against this Iowa State team. So I'm excited to see Obialo for more than one reason. I I think he'll mix it up as a blocker as well. Well – I agree, although I don't know that you ever want to be known as a good blocker whenever you're a wide receiver, you know? I mean, that's like (laughs) – even though I agree with you 100%. But here's the thing. It's not just the running game. You know, whenever they play those drop eight coverages, big zone, where they've got five under and three deep, you know, you've got to – you know, whenever the ball goes to someone else underneath, you got to turn and pick up those guys because they're all spread all over the field. So blocking down the field is big too, and – Well, I thought Drake Stoops had a really nice game catching the football. He did have some trouble in the slot blocking some of those safeties and nickels whenever they were trying to get some of that bubble stuff going on. And it'd be probably probably helpful to have a bigger body out there at times. So, yeah, I'm anxious to see him. I mean, we heard all kinds of great stuff about him throughout training camp. And, you know, we're we're week three. We still haven't seen him yet. So I'm anxious to see what he's got. Uh, For those that don't know, He's number 82, I think. I'm not sure. Did I just make that up? I think he's I, 82. That'll be so weird to see a wide receiver in the 80s number, right? It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been, it has. Damn, it has been a while. <laughs> That's a great point. Uh, I don't even right. know who the last one is. Maybe there was one last year, but I don't know. I'm used to the single digits at this point. Yeah. All right. We're going to continue uh, doing the thing where we bring someone on uh, to, that covers – the opponent. Now, last week we had Clatt because he was calling the game, of course. Uh, this week we've got Travis Hines, who covers Iowa State for the Ames Tribune and the Des Moines Register and also does radio in Des Moines at KXNO. So this man has watched about as much Iowa State football as you can possibly watch. So uh, we really appreciate talking to him. It's a great conversation. Here it is. It's our pleasure to be joined by Travis Hines. Travis does so much. He (laughs) writes for the Ames Tribune in Des Moines Register and also has a radio show on KXNO in Iowa. So you essentially, you study Iowa State from all angles, all mediums. Try to, really try to. Get it uh, 
print, video, radio, all the above. I would ask you what you do with your free time, but uh, I don't think you have any, right? (laughs) Not much, not much, not much. Now, uh, I want to dive right into the Cyclones, uh, especially kind of the differences you've seen from them in their loss against Louisiana, which was a tough opener, there's no doubt, and, and then their win last week over TCU. What, what have you seen? What kind of progression have you seen from them from game one to game two? Yeah, I mean, I think the Louisiana game was really almost what you would expect in a year like this where Iowa State had no spring ball, had basically a truncated fall camp. It was sloppy. You know, I think you look at the special teams giving up two return touchdowns. You had drop passes all over on the offense. The defense was, was mostly good which you would expect from Iowa State and coordinator John Haycock, but you give up two special teams touchdowns and your offense can't move the ball. I don't know that it was surprising, and certainly to your point, Louisiana is a solid team, but Iowa State I just don't think was ready to go in that opener for whatever reason. Fast forward two weeks later, I think they were really able to practice for two weeks. If you ask Matt Campbell, that was really what he said. We actually got to practice with pads on, play full-speed football with the most of our team, and you, you saw that. It was much crisper. And I think you can't take for granted either that Iowa State had some guys back from injury in that second game, most notably Charlie Kolar at the t- tight end position. He's not only Brock Purdy's security blanket, but he's a dy- dynamic tight end that really has to be accounted for by defenses. And I think that really helped in the passing game. And then you saw Brees Hall in the running game you know, really explode for 155 yards. Kene Nwangu hit one for 49 and a touchdown. Everything just seemed to work better. It's certainly they have a long way to go. It was still not sharp. It still was not crisp. The defense, I thought, got hit a little harder than I would have anticipated from a TCU team that hadn't played yet. But altogether, I think it was the progression you'd like to see from week one to week two. But, you know, Iowa State's now in a hole with that week one loss. And now you've got an angry Oklahoma team presumably coming to Ames this weekend. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of put up or shut up time for Iowa State. They've got to be playing close to their best football you know, really here this first week of October or the goals that they had hoped for at the start of the season are going to be incredibly difficult for them to pull off. You know, one of the things for me with Iowa State, I've always, I've liked since Campbell got there, I like what this team's about. Um, they, they're they a well-coached bunch, which is kind of shocking. Now, this year, the Louisiana game, I'm giving freebies whenever teams didn't show up and look good in week one, not knowing what their training camp looked like, not knowing what the roster looked like. Um, I, I'm giving freebies there. But one of the things with I've seen with Iowa State is um, they haven't started seasons well. And when they've had these big opportunities for, like, program-changing wins where they've, they've finally got expectations behind them, people are looking at Iowa State saying, wow, I think this team's about to get over the hump. They haven't been able to win those football games. What do you think is maybe different about this year's group than the past two, three years? I think if you're looking, if you're an Iowa State fan and you're looking, okay, why is this team different? I think a lot of it is these guys are all Matt Campbell program players at this point. You look earlier, you have a lot of holdovers or the guys that were brought in were very young. And this is still a pretty young football team. In that week one game against Louisiana, they had, I think, 29 guys play that were either underclassmen or making their Iowa State debut. So it's still a pretty young team, but now all these guys, for the most part, two, three, four, and in some cases, five years in the system. And 
you know, that, that early season stuff is a problem. They're seven and 11 in the first month under Campbell. They've been really good in October. They've only lost one game in October the last three years. But to your point, they still dropped some games last year where they almost had Oklahoma late. They lose by one to, or excuse me, two to Baylor in September. They've got to figure out how to win close games and how to win big games. And this group does have experience, even if they're still a little young, they've been in these big games. And again, it's, it's time for them to take that next step if they're ever going to do it. Now, Travis, um, Brock Purdy played about as bad as we've seen him play in the opener. But then last week, uh, bounces back with a nice performance other than that hilarious turnover, which I don't know what the hell that was. But is he living up to expectations? This is a guy that came into this season, a whole lot of high people talking about, you know, high round draft pick. If he were to come out, uh, what have you seen from Brock Purdy? And do you think that he started the season the way that people expected him to start it? He definitely has not lived up to expectations, but it's been two games. And I think, you know, to Teddy's point, you probably get a, a pass for that first game because, you know, I don't know how much Iowa State was really able to get into fall camp. He was without Kolar. And you look at the wide receiving group it's pretty slim pickings. They lose their top two from last year in Deshante Jones and LaMichael Petway, both of which not only are they, were they their best wide receivers, but they were really their only playmaking wide receivers. So the first game against Louisiana was rough. He looked legitimately poor in that game. I think other than one of the weirdest plays I've ever seen in an, <laughs> any player do in the last 10 or 15 years, he was pretty good against TCU. You know, I think he's still not, fully comfortable and you look at it he was without their top returning receiver last year Tariq Milton was out with an injury so I think they are struggling to spread the field a little bit but I I think it was certainly an improvement from week one to week two you get Kolar back I think that really does change things I don't want to overemphasize you know a single tight end who made five catches for 50 yards but it does change the dynamic of that offense and I think you know it'll be interesting to see where we get to in week three with him but, you know, to say he's lived up to expectations, no, but he still was pretty good against TCU, but wasn't that dynamic game-changing quarterback that I think you would expect or hope to see for somebody who is, you know, whispers of Heisman candidacy or first or second round draft pick. No, he has not been that yet, but it's still early. What's it been like around there? And I know obviously this year with the, the, the virus situation, it, it's, it's definitely different, but you know, you've got a team that's got high expectations. You talked about, you know, um, even floating the, the Heisman type of stuff out there for Purdy. It's been that it's, it's that type of possibilities. What's the buzz been like around there? Because I, it's got to be a weird feeling to think that we've got Campbell. We've got the opportunity to have a special season, maybe win a Big 12. But in the back of your head, you're thinking, if Iowa State wins the Big 12, Matt Campbell's going to get a job offer at a big time program. Yeah, I think the Campbell concern has been really ever present since probably year two. Obviously, when Urban Meyer, you know, announced that he was retiring at Ohio State, the alarm bells went off huge there because Campbell's from Ohio State or from Ohio. And I think there is a understanding that it's possible that he leaves, if not probable, just because he's a coach not even in his 40s. It's, it's highly unlikely he start or he finishes his career at Iowa State just because that means what a quarter century at one place. And I think when you're Iowa State too, and you've seen coaches both in football and men's basketball, 
leave for greener pastures, greener, usually more money, right? Uh, you kind of get used to it. And I think Iowa State fans would gladly take a Big 12 title, even if it meant leaving Matt Campbell. I mean, you look at the, the history of the Iowa State program. They haven't won a conference title, I think, since like 1908 when they were in the Missouri Valley Conference. So I think if you got a chance to get it, you go get it if you're an Iowa State fan. That was a good year in the Missouri Valley Conference, though. That was a good year that for the NBC. Year, it was great. <laughs> great year. Great year. Now, uh, Travis, I do want to ask you, and you touched on Brees Hall, but the second I saw him step on the field last year, I was like, okay, it, this guy's got something. And he's looked the part. He looks even better. He looks faster. He looks stronger this year. Now, we, we thought this was going to be an offense that relied heavily on Brock Purdy and what he can do with his accuracy and his athleticism, but – it seems like they really want to lean on that run game. And that's something they really haven't been able to do in the past because of their offensive line issues. Are they playing better up front or is it just Brees Hall's a special guy, kind of a combination of the two? What, what's going on for Iowa State offensively? I think it is a combination. You know, Campbell has thought that this could be their best offensive line that he's had here, which is not exactly a high bar to clear. I mean, we spent, what, three years watching David Montgomery get hit two, three yards in the backfield and still having 150-yard games because he's a special type of player. So now you get Brees Hall, who Campbell and offensive coordinator Tom Manning have compared favorably to David Montgomery. And again, remember, these are guys that not only recruited and coached David Montgomery, they also did the same with Kareem Hunt at Toledo. These guys know running backs. And I think that they feel really good about, especially if they get to fully healthy, they're missing their starting left guard, Trevor Downing, who they're hoping will be back soon but they think this is their most talented group of offensive linemen and that they have a little bit of continuity and that this can be when healthy, their best. And you put a Brees Hall back there who again is not David Montgomery, but maybe is within shouting distance of him in terms of talent that, yeah, you can make this a run first offense, even with a guy like Brock Purdy. So in that way that allows that wide receivers to kind of catch up to speed. Cause I do think they're a little bit behind where they would like to be in that passing game right now. Now, whenever you, you think about Iowa State and the way that they've played in recent years, which I think is fantastic, you know, defensively, a lot of three-man rush, sit back in big zone, make teams throw it underneath, rally up and tackle, wait for them to make a mistake, kind of a bend but don't break philosophy and really conservative on the offensive end, and that helps their defense. We've seen teams that – had that mindset, but then as they developed as a program, opened it up offensively, whether it's better personnel there or, or whatever, and in turn, that has hurt the defense. Is that a worry this year, knowing that there's a little bit more high power of an offense that maybe you're going to yield something on the defensive side? I don't think right now. You know, I think TCU hurt Iowa State early in the run game last Saturday, and Iowa State was able to make adjustments and really clamp down. But I think what – if you asked the coaching staff what they're excited about, about this defense is I think they've got more playmakers at more positions than maybe that they've had. Jaquan Bailey missed most of last year with a leg injury, comes back, has three and a half sacks against TCU. They get Latrell Bankson, who was one of the best junior colleges recruit recruits a, a year ago, comes in already has, I think two sacks through two games. Mike Rose, we saw that interception against TCU, a guy who started as a true freshman at middle linebacker, has moved to the outside and continues 
to be a really strong presence. I think the secondary is still a little bit of a work in progress, but they do have experience back there. But I think what they feel really good about is that this they can be a bend but don't break defense, but they still have playmakers at important parts on the field defensively to swing games on that side of the ball, not just, you know, bide their time for the offense to break through. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the Bankson kid because he stood out to me. I mean, I watched every snap of that Louisiana game and watched every snap they played against TCU, and that's going to be an interesting matchup because obviously Creed Humphrey, arguably the best center in the country, but he is a tall guy. I don't, I don't think people realize how tall Creed actually is, and Bankton is not. That is a guy that has a ton of leverage, and, and I was kind of a tall center as well. And those short, squatty, you know, 600, 700-pound squatters, those were the hardest dudes to block. So I, I'm interested in that matchup, Travis. I think that could, that could, that could be something to watch. Without a doubt. And Bankston is interesting for Iowa State, too, because the last few years they've really – they leaned on Ray Lima to be – a great interior defensive lineman, but he was not a pass rusher. He was a guy that would stop the run and eat up blocks and try to make things easier for the linebackers and the ends where Bankston that we've seen can get pressure up the middle. So that is a new dynamic that, you know, I think a concern for a lot of Iowa state fans is, you know, has the big 12 kind of caught up to Iowa State's scheme. And I think having this new wrinkle in the middle that can really change things is, is an ace in the hole for them. I mean, I just think it's really amazing sitting here talking about Iowa State, which, you know, before Campbell got there was not very good in the Big 12 for a long time. But with the guys that we're, we're talking about defensively between Rose and Eisworth and uh, Jaquan Bailey and then the guys on offense, Purdy led the Big 12 in passing last year, Brees Hall, Kolar, I mean – legitimately we're talking about Iowa state personnel wise being as good as almost anyone in the conference outside of maybe Oklahoma and Texas. And uh, I think on this year you could throw Oklahoma state, um, you know, into the Oklahoma, Texas category, but on a typical year, they're not there. I mean, what's, how has Campbell been able to get this caliber of player into Iowa state? You know, I think that they, they cast a wide net recruiting. You know, they have taken heat locally and a little bit nationally for putting out, I think, the third or fourth most offers of any program in the country. But I think when you're a new staff like they were and you're essentially re- recruiting to a South conference in terms of you know Texas heavy when they're coming from the Midwest, I think that makes sense to do that. But I think that they've really been able to target guys that they like and get in on them early get them on campus and sell them on a vision. And I think that's made a huge deal. And you look again, you know, David Montgomery plays as a true freshman. Brees Hall plays as a true freshman. Brock Purdy plays as a true freshman. Mike Rose, you just go down the line. Not only have they gotten really talented players in, they brought in talented players that can play from day one and then build them up from there. And I think that is a huge asset for them when you really do have to be a developmental program at Iowa State because you're not getting five-star players. You're not getting four-star players either. So you need to get those guys. you got to have an eye for them, and then you got to build them up. And I think they've been really successful 
uh, doing that now in year five. And I bet it helps quite a bit having guys like Montgomery, Lazard. Dude, Lazard has turned them. into like Aaron Rodgers' go-to guy. Other than hey, Devontae, Devontae Adams. Adams, you better not sit out too long. Be that hammy better get option. right. <laughs> now, Travis, do want to ask you about the atmosphere in Ames. Uh, I talked to Jamie Pollard quite a bit over on my SiriusXM show, and you know the. They had plans for the crowd. Then there was the outbreak there in Ames and then the state of Iowa. Sounds like there's going to be fans. And uh, I saw the jerseys that Iowa State's going to rock for this one. It seems like it should be a good atmosphere, right, for this football game. Yeah, they're going to have 15,000 people in there, just 1,000 students. It's normally like 61,000 is capacity at Jack Trey Stadium. So it's not going to be anything close to a – you know, home field advantage that you would otherwise expect when you're bringing an Oklahoma in for a night game on ABC in Ames. But I do think that those 15,000 fans are going to do their best to, to be as loud as they can. That is, you know, it is enclosed a little bit in there because it's you know, within the hillsides there. So it can get a little loud, but you know, I think Iowa state is ready for this game. I think you look what happened in 2017. You look what happened last year, Iowa state plays some of its best football against Oklahoma and again, nobody's backs against the wall the first week in October, but both of these programs are kind of looking, you know, they're feeling a little bit of heat, you know, Oklahoma with what happened last week, Iowa state with, you know, significant doubt after losing to Louisiana and with a shortened schedule, you know, I, I don't think anybody's really looking to get behind the eight ball the first week in October. So I do expect, you know, there to be you know, some tension, some urgency within that building on Saturday night, even if you know, you're looking at something closer to 15 or 20% capacity. Well, I, hey, I know it's going to be loud. You know, they could have zero fans in there, but Iowa State has the best sound system in all of college football. <laughs> you know, they ponied up big time insane. for that video board, the sound stuff. Yeah, they weren't messing around with that. Oh, my God, it's so loud. And it sounds good. There's a difference between just being loud and sounding good. It sounds good. What do you think? I mean, I don't know how much of Oklahoma you've watched. Uh, obviously, you're a busy man, but – Whenever you look at this matchup, what do you think is going to be the difference one way or the other? What, what part of the game, whether it's a personnel matchup or uh, offense versus defense, what do you think is going to be the real deciding factor? I think it will be can Iowa State move the ball through the air because I think you know, they're going to try to get Rattler to, to turn the ball over. I don't know how much success they'll have. You know, with what happened last week, I got to imagine Oklahoma is going to have a game plan that's going to you know, keep him safe. I think Brees Hall will be able to get some yardage. I don't think he'll run wild. And then it comes to me, can the wide receivers for Iowa State, who have struggled to get separation, do that against Oklahoma? And I think that's a tall task to ask, but it, I think it's got to happen. Iowa State, I don't think, can do three, cloud, or three yards in a cloud of dust for 60 minutes against Oklahoma. They're going to need to stretch the field, and you're asking wide receivers who have yet to show that they can do that to do it against one of the best teams in the country, you know, that 16th ranking, you know, notwithstanding, because I think we all expect Oklahoma to be there you know, once we get into November as one of the best teams in the country. And so I think that's a tall task for those Iowa state receivers, but I think that's got to, that's their best path towards a victory on Saturday night. Well, it should be a good one, boys. Uh, Travis, we really appreciate the time, man. Really. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Man, Ted, that was great conversation with our man Travis Hines. That dude, that dude knows Iowa State. Holy shit! You found shit. the one. You found the guy that knows everything there is to know about Iowa State. 
Yeah, and a few other things uh, be we, before we move on to uh, someone calling their shot. I think I think Rattler's going to have to be patient. That that's a huge piece of this football game. He's a young quarterback. He clearly likes to make the big play. I mean, what quarterback doesn't? But Iowa State essentially eliminates that. Uh, They dare you to play boring football. They kind of hope that you get bored of gaining four yards, five yards, four yards, six yards, three yards, four yards. That's what their defense is. And you've talked about it a lot, Ted. Rattler, he's going to have to take what the defense is going to give him. He's going to have to find that three safety look. He's going to have to diagnose what's going on in the back end with how they invert some of their coverages, all the things they do back there with their corners and safeties. I mean, it's confusing. It's high-level stuff, and no one does it better than Iowa State. So I hate to say it, but Rattler may just have to play a boring game. I mean, that's kind of what this defense forces you to do. Yep. I mean, there's, there is no doubt about that. They, they will, you know, it's the, it's the big concept. It's like, if you're coming into this league and this is what I like about what Campbell's done, you have a, you have a sit down with your coaching staff and you say, listen, we don't have the personnel. The rest of this conference does. We don't, you know, we're not going to have the quarterback. We're not going to have the skill guys. How in the world can we stay in football games and it's we cannot under any circumstances give up big chunk plays we just can't do it we're not going to be able to score so even though it's not sexy we're going to rush three and we're going to drop eight we're going to have three deep and five underneath we're going to spread the net all the way across the field and we're going to make teams uh you know deke and dunk down the field we're going to rally up and tackle we're going to vice guys in zone coverage and that's what they've done really well and one of the things that can really change those big drop eight coverages is a athletic quarterback because once an athletic quarterback breaks contain or gets outside the pocket, you manip- manipulate the net, right? You've got, you've got three deep, you've got five underneath, they're spread across the hash marks and everyone's got their spacing. But when the quarterback breaks contain and gets outside, there's a tendency for that zone to break down and a player will step up or uh, will run across the field and someone will find a window. So we've seen Spencer get outside the pocket and he's done some good stuff outside the pocket. He's also played with fire outside the pocket. If there's a drop eight and you scramble to your right and buy time and you throw that football late across the middle, what's going to happen, Gabe? Greg Eisworth is going to appear out of nowhere and catch the football and take it the other way. That's exactly right. So you're going to create that space and you can create some opportunities to make some plays and to move the chains. But if you start trying to skip that sucker back across the middle, it's going the other direction. So he's got to be extremely careful. And I mean, even coming off of a game where maybe you didn't play well, you turned the ball over quite a bit there's going to be even more pressure to go out and try and take some big chunks and improve your, yourself to, the, to your teammates and to your fans. 
That's why I think this is a dangerous defense and a dangerous game for Spencer Rattler. He's got to be patient. You're exactly right. Yeah, and you mentioned him getting out of the pocket. You know, going back to what, you know, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray did against Iowa State, it's not necessarily like called QB run game. Mm -hmm. It's getting out of the pocket and getting eight yards and picking up a first down. Spencer Rattler is going to run more than we've seen him run in the first two games. And it's not going to be like cold runs necessarily. It's going to be moving those chains when he sees that deep zone coverage and he's like, you know what? I can just run to that stick right there and we get a new set of downs. And I think he'll do that quite a few times. He has to do it, in my opinion. I'll I'll tell you what's what's great, though. I mean, for them, Iowa State somehow – drops eight guys, and they get home with three. And the last time we saw that was Baylor that did that quite a bit, where they were getting home with three with Lynch off the outside and that gigantic dude up the middle. Bravion Roy. If you can get home with three, and, I mean, you don't even have to get a sack, but if you you can create some pressure and make the quarterback have to rush a throw or get rid of it just a little bit quicker than he wants to, and you got eight droppers on the back end, that's trouble. Yeah, one one weird thing about Iowa State's defensive ends, they play boundary and field. They don't play left or right like you see a lot of teams in college football. So Jaquan Bailey's going to be moving around. I mean, he's going to be over Swenson or Harrison, whichever guy gets the nod at left tackle. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Swenson, just to see how he holds up because Swenson's a you know a more mature, physical guy. Doesn't move as well as Harrison, but you may want to try him on a strong dude like Jaquan Bailey first, see how he holds up before you throw the freshman out there against the guy that had three and a half sacks last week. So, welcome to the Big 12, uh, freshman. Yeah, but they're going to have to chip. Bailey at times with a back or a tight end, a guy in a wing position, and I think they should do it early. Teddy, you know how it works for those defensive ends. You chip them. Head on the swivel, baby. Yeah, early in the game, all of a sudden, rest of the game, they're looking around. Those eyes are going different places. So I I think they'll do some of that stuff. They should do some of that stuff. All right, Ted, let's move on to Call Your Shot. And Call Your Shot is brought to you by Rock and Roll Tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is an ultra-premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is good. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. And Ron Hubble at Hubs0412 on Twitter is calling his shot, Ted, and he says, OU41-6, 
defense forces four turnovers, one being a strip sack TD, hashtag OU Hope. Uh, hey. Some pretty lofty goals from our man, Ron. Whoa. I'll take it 41 to six. Um, whew. I, I think we're going to have more of a challenge than that. But if we force how many four turnovers and don't give any, give any up ourselves, then we can pull off a game like that. And all it takes is a play like what we saw Purdy do against TCU to score on defense. I, I still can't get over that. Hoist a ball backwards over your head. Best part the is field. the only positive for Brock Purdy on that play, it got ruled a fumble and not an interception because it actually <laughs> went backwards. <laughs> Amazing. I, I was incredible. watching the game on YouTube, like just kind of like popping forward through it. And I was like, wait, hang, hang on a second. What did I the just hell was that? that? <laughs> what, tarnation? Watching him go over and stand next to the coach with his helmet on and get scolded with the coach saying, <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Is That's pretty funny. The best part, if you go back and watch that, and I encourage everyone to do so. To do so. The Van Zant kid from TCU is like, what the, what the fuck? The <laughs> just like, what is this? Like, I'm totally out of the play. I'm behind it and all the way across the field. The only thing better is, you know, Ellinger essentially did that in an overtime game. Uh, one time when it, it was that against Oklahoma State. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I forgot about that. He was probably concussed. Okay, oh, Ted, uh, was. let's touch on it just because it it is a game that is being played. Uh, Oklahoma State traveling to Lawrence to take on the mighty Jayhawks. We'll see if Spencer Sander goes. Uh, can't imagine that they'd rush him. I don't really think they need him, and they've got a bye week next week. So they could get that ankle of his some serious rest. And I think they can get by with Illingworth, especially the way they've been playing on defense, the way that they've been playing on special teams. Those have been the difference makers for him anyways. So I'm sure Mike Gundy is watching that offense and he's like, okay, we need to get back on track. I need my quarterback. But I would hope that they resist that temptation and just roll with Ellingworth, be, Ellingworth, because I think he'll be fine. He's, I, I think he's proven that he's not going to make any critical errors. I don't think they're asking him to do too much. Looks like they have him reading half the field, kind of like we, we talked about with Whedon a couple weeks ago. But with the way that L.D. Brown and Chuba Hubbard are running the ball, Kansas has almost given up 200 yards game on the ground. So – just hand it to those guys. Maybe you let they're going to give up two hundred a player to that <laughs> yeah. group. <laughs> yeah, maybe you let Illingworth throw it around a little more because it seems like you know he's earned a little trust in these last two games. But as far as Kansas's offense, they still got Puka, uh, Stephon Robinson. Now the Parchment Kid has been mysteriously quiet through their first couple, but uh, they've already played three quarterbacks. Now. Uh, I like some of the stuff I saw from the Jalen Daniels kid, the freshman against Baylor. I mean, first drive of that game, he takes him right down the field. 80-yard drive, touchdown. Next drive, right down the field. They go for it on fourth and one, get stuff. They never get any more offensive momentum going in that game. It was really, really weird. But I think the difference, so OU should beat their ass. Uh, 
that Oklahoma State pass rush seems like they should get after that Kansas offensive line. Now, Kansas is not an easy place to play. I've said it a ton. It's like playing football in a morgue. But this one, I, I can't imagine this one's close at all, Ted. Well, this year you're going to be used to playing in that type of environment. So maybe point. it's not nearly as much of a factor. I don't think it's going to be close either. You know, they can clearly get through this football game without playing Spencer Sanders. And and who's going to get that bonus week because they're going into a bye. But, I mean, if he's healthy, if he's above 90%. Oh, you play. I'm I'm playing him. I'm not going to play him a ton, but he needs to get some rhythm with this offense. Even if it's handing the ball off 25 times, you know, and throwing it five. He needs to get some rhythm. He needs to get, you know, some flow out there. You can never replicate game reps. You just can't. No doubt. So he's had very few of those. Training camp this year was was weird for everyone. No telling how much actual time he got there. If if I can do it and I feel comfortable with my offensive line and protecting him and and I can I can keep people off of him, there's never a guarantee, but I'm gonna try and get him some time. I will. Which, you know, if he goes out there and rolls it or someone falls on it and he takes a shot and you set yourself back, you know, you're gonna you're gonna answer the question, why in the world would he be playing against Kansas? But you got to have some type of rhythm, you know, bye weeks are, are good sometimes, but this year, I don't know that a bye week is really that good. I think, I think it's going to be better for teams to be playing and locked in through, through game week preparation and, and really be screwed in. So I don't know. I, he probably plays, but not very much. At least if I was, if I was calling the shots, that's how I'd handle it. Yeah. If he's healthy enough, I'm, I'm with you. If your starting quarterback's healthy enough, he plays. You play the kid. I mean, it's that simple. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. Um, one other thing when it comes to local college football, uh, our thoughts and prayers to our friends uh, on the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. They're on the road against number 11 UCF. Yikes. I, I think that's going to be a rough one. I think that's going to be real rough. But you never know with nice Tulsa. Knowing you, Tulsa. It was it's, it was a fun season. Um, I know yikes. this: the defense is going to be in shape by the time they get back. All that, that running they're going to be doing in that Florida heat, baby. It's going to be a lot easier from this point on. Heupel's got that tempo dialed up at total, UCF. Total offense for that cue for UCF against Tulsa. You think five hundred yards total offense? Uh, I'll go 458 just to throw out a random number, and I'll say like 38 of that is rushing, and he has a rushing touchdown, along with maybe, what, four passing touchdowns? I don't know. But I don't like Tulsa's chances in that game. All right, Ted, let's move on to the National College Football Roundup, and that's brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. 
best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. A few bits of college football news before we look at a couple of our favorite games coming up this weekend. Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis have been cleared to play for Ohio State this season, and Rashad Bateman has been granted eligibility at Minnesota. I saw Cade Mays also got a waiver for, uh, to be able to play there at Tennessee, so that's good. The best players in college football playing college football, always good. Notre Dame had 18 players test positive this week for the coronavirus, and they have 25 players total in quarantine because – they ate a pregame meal together, and some dude that tested positive was throwing up all over the sideline <laughs> during their last game. That's what Brian Kelly said, man. That's what he said. Luckily, the Irish have a bye this weekend, Ted. I, I mean, just guy yakking his guts up. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm corona positive. Oh, my gosh. I bet those guys was were there so anyone mad. On, did you ever play with anyone that was a puker during games? Uh, dude, we had all kinds of pukers on our team. We had pregame pukers. That that's the weirdest guy. The pregame puker. Jason White, pregame puker every game. Oh, right before we took the field. Gross. At least go somewhere quiet. Like I'm trying to take a pregame, like, you know, get get the last drops of poop out of me. And I got this guy next to me just yakking. Come on. <laughs> like, get it together, man. What was your pregame meal go to? Ooh, uh, I was a big fan. I hate. I ate, ate pretty healthy. It was like the chicken, green beans, mashed potatoes. My favorite was always the uh, the snack before the night before the game. Yeah, Ooh, Lucky Charms, snack. baby. Wings, wings, grilled cheese. You know, maybe grilled peanut butter and jelly. Oh, Whoa, let's get crazy. Whoa. Oh yeah. Oh, How about oh yeah. That? Huh. Oh yeah. Wasn't messing I was around. pretty much just a uh, a fruit, grab an apple, some bananas, but boy, I'd hit the Lucky Charms hard. How many are mini boxes, right? Mini how boxes. Many, how many mini boxes are we talking? Five? Enough to where it didn't get awkward. Like, dude, are okay. you taking all the, the Lucky Charms? I would, I would go in, in burst of three, three-round burst on my Lucky Charms box. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this last piece of college football news in, and then I got a story. Larry Scott. <laughs> Uh, he suggested expanding the college football playoff to eight teams this season, and the CFP said, no thanks, not this year. So that whole idea is dead. Shocking. Hey, Larry, why do you want it to go to eight teams this year? <laughs> well, at least he tried. The effort matters. Okay, back to the pregame meal thing. And I'm not going to reveal what human being this was, but a teammate of mine in the National Football League, he would always, you know, grab this handful of stuff, and then he'd disappear to his room and, like, the team I was playing for at the time, uh, a bunch of the alignment, we'd like sit night before the game, talk, tell stories, you know, laugh, you know, just kind of that camaraderie time, right? And he'd just disappear. So finally one time we were like, what? What does he do? So I swear this is true. <laughs> we, we bust into his room one time. He is laying on the bed on his back, and he has milk <laughs> in his chest. Like, there's milk, like he's got this little, you know, like you have a little thing in your chest that can kind of hold yeah. some milk, like a little little divot, right? Yeah. He's got milk in there. He has 
I, I can't even remember. It was like it, it wasn't that many. It was like four or five chocolate chip cookies sitting on his belly, and he is dipping the chocolate chip cookies <laughs> in, into the milk on his chest. And I'm going, what the <laughs> it's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But that was his thing. That was his night before the game ritual. Wow. He was like Dude, I started doing it a long time ago, and uh, I, I hopefully will never forget that because unbelievable, one of that the best things I've ever seen is disgusting. Would <laughs> only happen with an offensive lineman, no and I'm just I'm laughing that that was like his big thing. Like he can't wait, boy. It's going to be fun scampering up to the room and pouring milk on my belly. Oh my god! He needed some him time, man. Just some some decompression, I uh, suppose. Wow. Yeah, that was a that was an eye opener. Okay, <laughs> let's look at some of the games coming up this weekend. Couple really good ones in the SEC. Number thirteen, Texas A and M, going to Tuscaloosa to take on number two, Bama. Bama looked like Bama against Mizzou last week, and A&M did not look good. Ton of mistakes, five fumbles, lost three of them, uh, barely got by Vandy. I just – we'll see if Isaiah Spiller can get loose for the Aggies, uh, see if that ground game can get going. But I have my doubts after seeing Bama's defense against Mizzou. I mean, just freaks everywhere per usual. It was fun seeing Dylan Moses – Back out there for Bama, he's a stud. If it comes down to Kellen Mond having to throw the ball, I don't really trust him. I don't like A&M's chances. And Mac Jones looks good. Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris. I mean, they're just ridiculous. Bama has won seven straight over A&M. Seven. I'd, be, I'd be shocked if Texas A&M wasn't pummeled unmercifully in this football game. <laughs> Um, Alabama showed up in the beginning of June, had their chicken pox party, and they've what they had six weeks of practice before their first game. Uh, haven't had a whole lot of guys miss. It's it's a bad sign when Nick Saban says the week before their first game, "Oh no, we really haven't had any problems uh, with these guys. Practice has been oh god been great." Uh, so it's, it's we like, got all 22 first rounders ready to roll <laughs> like, yeah they've been they've been humming along like a well-oiled machine for the uh in football practice for almost two months now so yeah i think they're going to look good against texas a&m uh, and that's the game i'm most interested to see uh, i'm not gonna lie because ted doesn't it seem like it, it it's about put up or shut up time for texas a&m i mean Jimbo Fisher is getting paid a fortune. They're putting a fortune into the program. They've recruited at an incredible level. I, I mean, they're out of excuses. I know they had the brutal schedule last year, right? And it was. It was one of the most difficult schedules we've ever seen in college football. I'll, I'll give them that. But they got to they gotta start winning some big games. And I, I want to make it clear, I don't think this is the one that, where they're going to start winning big games. But Kellen Mond's got to be better. They've got to be better defensively. They didn't look disciplined or well-coached in their opener. Like, Jimbo's got to get it together. With what he's getting paid, 
and the type of players they're bringing in, they got to start seeing some results there. I mean, how many times can they win eight games and it be okay with the amount of resources they're pumping into that program? It feels like – and a lot of people around there thought this was the year, right? Hey, we played that brutal schedule last year. All those guys got that experience. We're all coming back. I know they've had a couple guys opt out, and that hasn't helped them at all. But, I mean, they're out of excuses. It's time to win some damn big games in College Station. Uh, Well, hey, they've been out of excuses for a long time. I think their last championship was like 1938 or something like that. Um, you sure they so, haven't claimed a fake one since then? Uh, I'm, I don't know. They haven't won a conference championship since, what, like 97 or 98? 98, like yeah. Third year of the Big 12 or something like that. I mean, here's the, here's the bad news. They've got like $50 million left on Jimbo's contract, that 10-year, $7.5 million per contract. So that smarts a little bit. Um, they're just flat out not good enough at quarterback. Kellen Mond is an okay talent. That's it. How do they not have like a difference maker at quarterback? I don't understand. Like the last time they had a difference maker at quarterback was Manziel and he went into Tuscaloosa, flipped everyone, the double birds and walked home with the W and almost beat him the next year down there in college station. They don't have a guy like that. Um, and, they've they've always had good talent i mean talent wasn't an issue for them before they went to the the sec they've had good talent they just can't get anything done they have way too high of an opinion of themselves they have a culture problem yeah that that may be the case that may be the case uh i'm really interested to see what happens in that football game because uh, i think we are kind of leaning the same way it could be a beatdown. It I mean, could be, but hey, you know, crazy things happen in college football. Um, good point. Rarely do you catch Texas A&M uh, sleeping, especially at home. This isn't going to be the same type of home environment, you know. Uh, Alabama's not – it, it can be a semi-sleepy place to play because it's a – A lot of old people, yep. Used to winning, and so – I don't know. I, I mean, I'd be shocked. I, I haven't seen Kellen Mond look like a difference maker, though, yet for the, in the SEC. And Mac and, Jones, dude looked damn good yeah. against Missouri. I mean, that dude yeah. was ripping it. So many weapons. I mean, that, team, that team's ridiculous. All right, another big one in the SEC, number seven, Auburn, going to number four, Georgia. And this is an intriguing football game because the big mystery is who is George's quarterback going to be in this football game? We saw Dewan Mathis get yanked in the Arkansas game. Uh, Stetson Bennett, who has the most SEC quarterback name of all time, Stetson. Good God. He played pretty well, though. I'll, I'll give him credit. Like Came in, did some good things for them, uh, shifted the momentum of that game. But JT Daniels has been cleared in the last couple of days. So I got no idea what Kirby Smart's going to do with the quarterback position there. Now, uh, speaking of quarterback, I don't think Bo Nix is great by any means right now, but he's serviceable and seems like he's making some good decisions with the football. I think he's gone like 218 passes or something like that without an interception. But – 
this feels like a Gus Malzahn game where he can go in and win. But then I remember just how much talent Georgia has. And I know they've got some question marks on their offensive line, but Georgia has won every game at home against Auburn since 2005. Oof. So, and I know it's the SEC and it's, it's weird. They're in different divisions and all that, but that's still a very long time. So I, I don't like where Georgia's quarterback situation is, but they are the more talented team. So I, I really don't know what is going to happen in this game. I, I have no clue what the quarterback situation is going to be for Georgia. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's going to be a really good game. I lean Auburn. Um, I, I fear that Georgia – Georgia had a, a little bit of a burst when Kirby Smart got there. They, they had some attitude to them. Mel Tucker with that defense. Um, you know, they had some really special players defensively. And not that they've fallen off a big chunk on, on that side of the ball, but I feel like they had their moment. They played in a national championship game. Didn't quite capitalize on it. They were close. And this is just a feeling thing for me. Maybe they go, they go out and win the East again this year. But I, I, I fear that Georgia's going to fall back into what they were when Rick was there as a like a 10-win team every year but couldn't win the SEC, you know, make a, make a nice bowl game but just could not challenge for a conference championship. I fear that that may be about to happen with Georgia. And if they don't get the quarterback situation right, I think that's exactly what we're going to see. Now, Stetson Bennett is a hell of a name. <laughs> it sounds like a grandpa. I don't, the only thing that would sound older than Stetson Bennett would be like Buford Bennett. But JT Daniels is a big talent, but I'm still waiting for JT Daniels to do something. That, that, that's what – Part of me is like, well, if JT Daniels just comes in for Georgia and just rips it and they win by two touchdowns, like I, I think that's a possibility too. That's but what they're going to have to have in, right. in the yeah. SEC. I mean, the days of uh, trotting a really good defense out there and leaning on a running game and playing conservative football are over. And that ended whenever uh, Nick Saban brought in Tua and started opening that offense up there. And then LSU with um, obviously with Burrow. So Trask, what's he got, like six touchdown passes over the week last weekend? So the SEC has has changed a little bit. So you're going to have to have a quarterback to win that conference. And JT Daniels is going to have to play like a, a five-star. Yeah, that's going to be a good game. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, another game that I think could be really interesting, TCU at number nine, Texas. Now, TCU has really given Texas trouble since they joined the Big 12, especially in Austin. TCU's 6-2 and two in the last eight against Texas. They're 3-1 and one in the last four in Austin. And I know they lost last week, but we'll see if TCU can limit big plays. They gave up a weird amount especially for a Gary Patterson defense. They gave up a ton of explosives to Iowa State last week. 
Now, Texas' offense is looking explosive with Ellinger. Um, he's running the show. He's a good player, people. Just accept it. And the Josh Moore kid is starting to develop into his go-to wide receiver. He's pretty fun to watch. But that Texas defense, I mean, they were embarrassed by the way that they played against Tech. And they should be. That was uh, that was not great. But TCU looked a lot better offensively when they brought Max Duggan in last week. So I think this is going to be a close football game. Uh, I really do. Gary Patterson, he has Herman's number <laughs> a little bit. Like he may just have Texas's number. You know how much this game means to some of those TCU kids who didn't get recruited by Texas and feel like they should be at Texas. You know exactly how that goes, Teddy. So I'm expecting a close football game. I would be very surprised if Texas wins this comfortably. Very, very surprised. I mean, I get what you're talking about with the TCU kids, but, I mean, TC, you mentioned the numbers. TCU's won five out of the last six. All of them by double digits, none of them really close. So the Texas kids should be going into this game pissed that they're not at TCU. That's how this thing really should be. I mean, why would a TCU kid – Why didn't Gary Patterson want me? Right. Why would a TCU kid be upset that he's not on the other team where his current team has pounded their ass five out of the six uh, last times they've played? But I do get what you're saying. Um, Duggan gave them something different whenever he was in. He's just Especially, big. He's athletic. He can move. He's got an arm. athleticism, man. So, uh, you know, I was when, when I, I was watching some of that TCU-Iowa State game today, and they hit on some nice plays. They hit on some big chunk plays against Iowa State. So uh, a couple of things in the running game really opened up big for them. Uh, they hit a, a back on a nice – like they ran the – they faked the power. They had two tailbacks in and split backs, faked the power, and the blocking back out of split backs ran a go route for, on the safety that was coming down in support. Just a really nice play design. They hit that for a touchdown. So I, I kind of like what I've seen so far from TCU's offense. I know they – that's their first game, and it was a loss to Iowa State. But uh, Quick question. So I didn't think the Downing kid played that bad for them, you know, the yeah. kid that got the start. But if Max Duggan starts that game, they win that game, right? Like, I'm not crazy. That, that offense yeah, – I mean, it's hard he, to say. I, I mean, don't know if – I mean, they went to him, and you know how that works. Like, it, it can provide a spark on the sideline, all those things. But that kid is an athlete, man. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them add some more QB run game into yeah. this game plan against Texas and – frankly feel good about Duggan's safety because Texas still can't get to the quarterback yeah they still can't zero sacks yeah I mean it's it's um I don't know maybe they win that football game if it goes in I know that that's what they're all they're kicking themselves right now saying um so I don't know I I think it's going to be a tight football game uh, I think Duggan's got a chance to do some really good things uh I, who knows, man? And honestly, like I was saying, like TCU, that was their first game. From what we've seen with people in their first game, 
they look pretty good, man. They haven't. They've been. That's a like really good point. Three or four different times they've had to shut down their entire operation because of the virus, and for the most part, they looked pretty sharp. So I don't know. I think it's going to be this year, especially early. Unfortunately for us, our all of most of our tough games are early. Early on, I think every game is going to be a crapshoot. Yeah. We'll see. I think that's going to be a good one. Uh, also in the Big 12, we've got Baylor going to Morgantown to play West Virginia, and we've got Tech going to Manhattan. Tech's Either of those, Kansas State. Yeah, I, I, I decided that the second I saw it. Uh, I'm when saying, I looked at the schedule on Monday, I was like, Kansas you know what? State has not played well after they've played. Like last year they beat us, and then they beat Kansas, and then they lost like to West Virginia and – you know, I, I don't know, Oklahoma State, they shockingly can't – you would think that the way they play, they would show up week in, week out. Like, that's kind of their thing, but they don't. It's like – Okay, whatever. Let, let, let's do some football math here, and, and what I mean is – so you've got the emotional letdown, right, of can't stay coming off the OU win, right? And then you've got – the depression that Tech has experienced from just a historic blown lead there against Texas. Which one is greater? Which which one is the emotional letdown more of a detriment or the general depression that Tech is experiencing? This is a little football math. Uh, greater than, less to, less than, greater than, well, equal to – if you're just asking me to compare those two things with these two teams, I would say that Texas Tech has basically lived their entire tenure in a massive state of disappointment. <laughs> so blowing a lead to Texas late is water off a duck's back. I don't, you know, I think they're they're probably sitting around saying, "Hey, man, our offense looked pretty good out there." I, you know, I heard Matt Wells go in, in his presser, and I love Matt Wells. Uh, I don't hide that, but he was like, "You know what? We did play well enough to be up fifteen with three thirteen to go in the game. Like, ooh, we played pretty well." <laughs> so I was like, "You know what? That's kind of a good point. I'm sure that's what they've been preaching to their guys, right?" Yeah, I mean, that's one way to go about it. I have a feeling that any of the teams that I played on, that would n I cannot imagine Bob Stoops walking in and being like, hey, guys, you know. I, I highly doubt that's what he said in the team meeting, but yeah, if you got to win the press it, conference. you got to hey, win the man, press conference. We played good enough to win the thing for, for 50 minutes of the affair, but no, I mean, hey, I, I think that, I think that Texas Tech – I trust Texas Tech's offense more than I do Kansas State. If you look at Kansas State, this is not an excuse for our defense. They played fantastic except for five or six plays of the game. That's it. Other than that, they were pretty much great. Those plays cost them, and that's the way football goes. But Texas Tech consistently moved the football, was great through the air, was great on the ground against Texas. I trust that more than I do K-State right now. Yeah. Bowman.
probably should take care of it a little better. He had two really Throw it bad up to in- some of those dudes, man. He had two really bad interceptions. But, yeah, I'm with you. Won't be surprised when Tech goes to Manhattan and wins that game. All right, Ted, let's move on to our segments. Let's start with our winners and losers of the week. And Teddy's winners and losers are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or lower energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. Tighten it up a little bit, people. You never know. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. All right, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the week? You know, just whenever I thought coronavirus couldn't be any worse, couldn't ruin any more things, it goes and hits the NFL and the Titans and totally redeems itself. Oh, my gosh. Tuesday night football, baby. Here we go. Is that not the greatest thing ever? Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. Now, I know it's not planned as of yet. Maybe two Monday night games. Hopefully, the way you're looking at me, it hasn't already been announced that it's going to be on Monday or canceled. I I haven't. I haven't heard. I I think they're still in the discussion phase. Tuesday night football. Come on. I think we even have time to put like a special uh, song together. You know, Carrie Underwood's not busy. We maybe we could find someone else to fill in. Let's go, man. It's not that not the greatest thing ever. So uh, the latest news, and remember, we're recording this on Wednesday night. The latest news from Pro Football Talk is that the Steelers-Titans could be nationally televised by CBS at 5 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Oh, so So that basically creates double... 5 p.m. Eastern? You're going to be right in the middle of your radio show there, bud. (laughs) Okay, I mean... 5 p.m. Eastern, what's that, uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon in California? Or 2 o'clock in the afternoon? People in California don't work. It's fine. uh, Especially not on Mondays. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll we'll see. Nothing official yet, but it sounds like that's what some of the people at CBS have been told, that it's going to be Monday. Now, hopefully they can get us a better time. Actually, that's fine with me. Whatever. I'll take yeah, all the hey, all the football I can get. I'm down. It's I'll say it's a this. good game too. Yeah, it it's is. Two, three, it's two three and a really good game. It's slightly better than you know the late kick where you're up until you know one a.m. watching the game. So okay, but hey, doubling up on Monday night. I guess that's a slot down from Tuesday night football. I was jacked about it. I was hoping they were gonna hey, you know have a new song and everything. Things could change. Things right. could change. Long time between now and Monday slash Tuesday. All right, Ted, who do you have as your loser of the week? I was shocked by this. And it's got to be one of the suckiest things I've ever heard of in all of sports. The Minnesota Twins have lost. Hold on. Hold on. Are we about to talk about baseball? 
we are talking about baseball. Oh my that, God. Anytime it, it's always going to be. I will, <laughs> I will but, say these little three game series. Kind of yeah. awesome. Kind of awesome. I've watched a little bit. I'm not, I refuse to talk about it though. Whenever they're all going at the same time, it would be fun to sit in a sports book in Vegas and watch all that happening. Or I in mean, the state of Oklahoma. Be, uh, right. It would be, be okay nice. to watch. It wouldn't be fun. I mean, baseball's never fun. But <laughs> uh, speaking of never fun, the Twins have lost 18 straight playoff baseball games. Going all the way back to, what, 2004? Amazing. That has to be the suckiest thing a fan base has ever had to endure. Every year, all right, baby, we're in the postseason. Here we go. Haven't even sniffed a win. That's straight. That's unbelievable. Now, okay, my, my baseball memory is not tremendous, but that's what they get for building a stadium outdoors in Minnesota. That's what they get. I think yeah. it's still outdoors. I don't know. I haven't watched a Minnesota Twins game, and uh, I have no idea the last time. Yeah, baseball is not a cold-weather sport. All it takes is uh, one fastball in on the hands uh, oh. to jar that bat whenever it's 45 degrees outside to make you never want to do that again. But Gross. 18 straight, almost, I think, 13 of them have come by the Yankees. <laughs> There's some Yankee haters up in Minnesota. Oh that is God. horrible. And we just talked baseball. How about that? Uh, <laughs> all right, my winners and losers are brought to you by Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite football teams from home this season, which is why you need to get ready for game day with a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment system indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual, including the badass theater room at my new house, and it is fantastic. They hide all the water. Uh, water? What? Yeah, there's no water involved. Good thing. God, I'm leaving it <laughs> in. They hide all the wires and the cable boxes, so it looks great. I can also control every TV in my house from my phone, and my internet has been flawless. For the best home theater systems in the Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. All right, Ted, my winner of the week, and I was going to do the Titans and Steelers because those guys get to miss a whole week of practice, and uh, that would be awesome. But my winner of the week, and I'm going to need you to follow me, grass. Yes, Grass. Now, I'm not talking about the grass that you can buy if you've got your card, and it seems like you can buy it about every three blocks here now oh. in the state of Oklahoma. Oh. <laughs> Different okay. grass. We're, we're right. talking about actual lush grass. J.C. Treader, former teammate of mine who is the president of the NFL Players Association, he came out with a statement. And first of all, he's a smart dude a smart guy, he came out and said that all NFL teams should, should switch their fields to natural grass. Currently, there's 13 teams that have artificial turf, and he provided some alarming statistics that the NFL provided. I mean, this injury data to back up this request, like – 
it's almost unbelievable that they're still using artificial turf with how many non-contact injuries are that on turf compared to grass. I mean, you're talking knees, ankles, shoulders. I mean, it's everything. It's staggering. So uh, I know it's hard to take care of grass during the winter. Like I get it. Taking care of grass in January in New York is hard. <laughs> Look at me putting it. <laughs> one of the New York teams in the playoffs. What am I doing? But it, I get it. But it seems like something the league needs to consider seriously at this point in time. We've seen people complaining about the turf there at MetLife. Um, but also, playing on turf sucks. It's the worst. It hurts, Teddy. It's horrible. I'm on the J.C. Treader train. All grass in the National Football League. Sign me up. No, 100%. They should have just had uh, uh, Snoop do the press conference of the announcement because all I could think of whenever you were talking is um, whenever – what movie was it? Um, Whenever he was the (laughs) – he was caddying for one of the guys and they're like – he's like, that's Alabama creeping Brent. (laughs) You sure know a lot about grass. I know even more about weed. What movie is that? Come on, man. Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller. Owen Wilson and Ben. It's a remake from like the seventies, where they're driving the the hot rod cars. Oh, uh, Starsky and Hutch is Starsky that the right? Hutch, God, yes. I haven't seen that movie in. <laughs> That's all I could think of. I don't dude. even remember Snoop Dogg being in that movie. Yeah, uh, was, what was okay? Yes, I, I remember his. God, I have not watched that it in was, a long it was time. Horrible. But here's the thing: No, you're right. Turf sucks. It's horrible. And just whenever you thought the game was over and the pain is over, you go and get in the shower and find out how destroyed your skin is. And it feels like someone is taking a hot iron and pressing it against your body uh, on a bunch of different places. It's horrible. The black rubber pellets get all in your face and in your mouth. Uh, in your ass terrible. crack. There's nothing yeah. worse. You're in the shower. You're just like, oh. Oh, my gosh, what is that? You're still finding rubber pellets on Wednesday, okay? Uh, I hate it. I love gra- – a good grass field is about the greatest thing ever. But there's some bad grass fields, too. That's uh, a good point. Soldier Field is horrible. It is so incredibly thick. It's awful. I get it The because of the weather and everything. But if if at all possible, if you've got the the weather to be able to pull it off, I mean, people want their star players playing in the NFL. That's what they want. And fantasy, and for whatever reason, they want star players playing in the league, and they're sick of seeing so many guys hurt, and turf is playing a big factor in that. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what J.C. Treader said in, in that that release was that, listen, everyone wants the players to be healthier. Like, this isn't just the players. It's the teams. It's the GMs. It's the owners. It's – it's everybody. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you. And did you ever see that? And it's it's been a long time since I've seen it. So some of my details may be a little hazy. But Real Sports had a had a, a thing on turf, and it was about women's soccer and cancer in goalies, and the connection they made between the high amount of women soccer players that have cancer is the turf fields and that they were always like diving and skint up on the, on the turf fields. It was like a, 
I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I was shocked whenever I saw that. I was like, oh my God, I'm on uh, a turf yeah. field every single day. And I never saw a follow-up. I haven't seen anything on it since. But um, it, it, whenever I watched it, I was like, oh my God. Well, that's great. Fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little shocking. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, if it's something in the rubber pellets that, you know, the ground up rubber and tires or whatever it is. Oh, that's awful. All right, my loser of the week. Now, the Minnesota Twins one that you just rolled out. That was that's pretty damn good, but at, I I'm not sure if I have you beat, but this is this is pretty good. Does the name Jake Garcia mean anything to you, Ted? Jake no. Garcia. It probably should. Because we're not big recruiting guys, but I saw this story and it's <laughs> it's truly ridiculous. So this kid is a four-star quarterback that's committed to USC from the state of California. Now, they canceled high school football in the state of California. So what does Jake Garcia do? He goes, hmm, I'm going to move to Georgia to play my senior year of high school at Valdosta High, you know, one of these prestigious programs in the state of Georgia. So he's like, this shouldn't be a problem. Well, the Garcias had to go to quite the extreme to make that work because the Georgia High School Association has certain rules for eligibility for kids that move in like this. And so what do the Garcias do, Ted? Naturally, his parents dissolved their marriage yes they got divorced (laughs) so that this kid and like they're doing fine marriage is doing great they got divorced so that they could kind of skate around these georgia high school rules so their kid could play his senior year at valdosta high so you know this was a story that made its rounds and you know we were all having fun with it you know on radio and it 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 was goofy we were like hey good for this kid he gets to play his senior year so they've gone through all of this he plays in the opener brings a team back from a deficit they win the game and then the next game it gets pushed because of covid concerns the next game this eligibility question and maybe a little injury starts creeping up (laughs) and guess what remember his parents got divorced so he could play um they ruled him ineligible Mm. yeah the uh the georgia high school delegation or whatever the hell it's called it's like the association their version of the ossaa decided you know what we don't think the Garcias are operating in good faith here. So you're ineligible. His parents got divorced so he could play, and now he can't even play. So what do you think they do with the marriage? Like, are they I don't like know. A-, a couple of things first come to, to mind. Um, I, if it's the dad that approaches the wife, and says, hey, um, I got an idea. Why don't we dissolve the marriage? You gotta, I got to feel like 
that wouldn't go over very well. You know, I mean, at least at first, it's like, are you trying to use this as a way to dissolve the marriage? That's the first thing that comes to mind. Sketchiness. The second thing that comes to mind is, what if pops or mom is like, hey, you know, this is kind of nice. Hey. <laughs> kind of like my freedom. Yeah, I'm not, not tethered anymore, actually. You know, I, I, I got, we couldn't live together, obviously, or else they would uh, smell what we're up to. I kind of like this new house I've got, new apartment. I like a little bit of freedom. It's not bad. Hmm. I don't mind it. I wonder if they get back together. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, I feel bad for the kid that he couldn't play in California. Well, by the way, they have appealed. Uh, Valdosta High has appealed the uh, Georgia High School Association's decision. So we'll see how it shakes out. Well, here's my thing, though, man. And, and I know high school football is competitive and, you know, it's, it's – it, 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 there's, there's good football being played and, and this isn't Little League where everyone gets an opportunity. But – you know, he's a senior, and he moved into some random place in Georgia. And there's a quarterback there that most likely grew up with all these kids on that team, you know, and maybe he's a senior too and has worked his butt off with, that, with those kids in that program for, for years for an opportunity to, to play his senior year. And this dude moves in from out of town with his parents getting a fake divorce and everything. And he's just going to swoop in and, and steal your thunder and, and, and take over that team. So, I mean, I hate that for whoever the kid was that was going to play quarterback, but in the end, I, you, you know, I love a good conspiracy theory, Ted. Mm -hmm. I 100% imagine like the kid you're talking about, his parents are the ones that were like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Georgia High School Association, maybe we should uh, look into this. Like, because no I'm with you. Like, that's bullshit. Come on. Yeah. Like, I, I would understand maybe if it's like one state over, maybe you're doing it like, I, I don't know who's playing high school football. You're going to your cousin's high school. That yes, yeah, Nevada. Are they playing right. high school football yeah. in Nevada? I don't, I don't know. But yeah, going all the way to Georgia, especially when he's going to USC, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, that's that's what you get, Garcia family. God, I'm it's not shocked. That serious. At, well, I I don't know. It's um. Although hey, I do kind of I do kind of love that they love football that much. Dude, I would have <laughs> kind of I would have gone to the end of the world to play football my senior year if if my season was being canceled. So I get Same. that end of it too. All right, Ted. It is Thursday, but we went to beak every episode now since. The Thunder aren't playing basketball, but we're going to wet the beak, and that is brought to you by Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you're looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all your home-building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing, and of course, he can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new house. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. He is still helping us when we have questions about things around the house. He's also built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information and to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit Tim Hughes Custom Homes. 
Com. Okay, so normally we wet the beak with Thursday night football, but I don't know about you, Ted. I didn't really feel like trying to pretend to care about the 0-3 Denver Broncos playing the 0-3 Jets. I, I, I just couldn't fake it. Uh, I, I'm a fake it till you make it guy, but I just I, I couldn't pretend that I cared about that football game. So let's look at one that a lot of our listeners care about, and that is the Cleveland Browns traveling to Dallas to take on the one and two Dallas Cowboys. Now that Cowboys defense, they have been getting shredded the last couple of weeks, giving up 77 points in the last two games. There were some serious coverage busts in that Seattle game. I mean, how does Tyler Lockett get that open? I, I have no idea, but this game feels like it's going to come down to running games, right? It, it's going to come down to the Cowboys' ability to stop the Browns' running game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and there's no doubt that the Browns are going to want to run it, right? They're going to want to neutralize Alden Smith, which, by the way, it's pretty cool seeing that guy come back and have the impact he's having. When I played against him at Missouri, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. We went to Missouri and lost. I think we were number one in country at the, in the country at the time. That was fun. But DeMarcus Lawrence, like, and it sounds like he's banged up. We'll see if he's healthy enough to go. But they're not going to want those guys just teeing off on Baker. So they're going to want to get to that run game. Baker is certainly at his best when that run game is humming and he can operate in play action, especially when the defenses are starting to load the box against Chubb. Now, offensively for the Cowboys, you know, it's been pretty good at times. You know, we can talk about Dak. We can talk about Zeke. We can talk about Amari, Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, but I'm worried about that offensive tackle position for them because when you look at the Cleveland Browns, that Miles Garrett guy can rush. And right now they're not getting Lyle Collins back this week. And Tyron Smith's status is very much up in the air. Still hasn't practiced practice up to this point. So I know Zach Martin's arguably the best guard to ever play, but kicking him out to tackle, and you know Cleveland will line Miles Garrett up against him if he has to play right tackle. I, I just don't know. I I think Zach is an unbelievable football player, but uh, I'm sure the Cowboys would also like to not play out of like a double-digit hole for once this season. Cowboys are currently a four-and-a-half-point favorite as we're recording this. Give me Cleveland. Man, I the Cowboys are missing a lot of pieces, and uh, I'm a big believer that – and I know that – Cleveland has some O linemen that have missed some practice this week as well. But man, I, I think this is a field goal game uh, at, at least. So, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll take Cleveland. I mean, four and a half with all the issues Dallas has right now. Give me the Browns. That run game, solid. And I, I just don't see it right now from Dallas on defense. I just don't. Yeah. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be a shootout. I'm curious to see how Cleveland operates in a shootout. You know, if if there's if there's points being scored back and forth, 
uh, and they've got to open up that offense. They're clearly way better whenever they are heavy, heavy run. Who's not? If you can rely on the heavy run um, and find your way through a football game, everyone would prefer to play it that way. But, you know, even though the offensive line is down for Dallas, the skill positions and say what you want about Dak, man, he's going to put up yards and I think Dallas is going to be able to score some points. Um, but I do think it's going to be tight. If I had to pick it, I'd take Cleveland in the four and a half. I do think it's going to be a really tight game in the end. Um, it's just crazy to think about this Dallas Cowboys offensive line, and you, and, and you broke it down perfectly. But Tyron Smith starting to get up there in age. Um, when they lost Frederick, that changed everything. It's you know, for a couple of years there, it was like the envy of the league, how good that offensive line in Dallas was. And it's kind of falling apart a little bit. I mean, yeah, I mean, you see Beatish out there, uh, the rookie. You see Looney bumping over to guard, you know, mm-hmm. Zach Martin bumping out to tackle. Like, that's not – you don't want your future Hall of Fame guard having to bump out to tackle. That's yeah. when you know things have gone very wrong for you when you just talk about who you have available. The Steel Kid, he's been disappointing. Let's just be honest. Like, it's just their O line's not in a good spot right now. They're, They're just I mean, not. Tyron Smith was, the, was their lockdown dude, and he was a badass for like a four or five year stretch, like as good as anyone in the NFL. And he's just started to pile up the injuries, man. So, I don't know. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be incredibly tight. Uh, If I'm getting four and a half in Cleveland, I'll take it. Yeah. I I would expect Zeke to have a few more yards than he did last week against Seattle, but we'll see. Dak is leading the NFL in yards, but he only has five touchdown passes. Right. So he's having a hard time finding the end zone right now for whatever reason, um, you know, compared to some of the other guys in the league. So I don't know. I, I do think it's going to be a high-scoring game, which means it's going to be like a 17-14 snoozer. Hopefully not because I'm pretty excited for that game. All right, let's finish up with everybody's favorite segment. That's Keeping It Local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma and as brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools are reopening in the fall, parents want to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. There's no better place for that than Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home if necessary. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked in addition to athletic programs and clubs. Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. Okay, I am not going to pretend like I know anything about the energy industry, but people I know that know a lot about it are excited about this merger. So... Devon Energy and WPX Energy are merging. They are both Oklahoma companies. They're going to keep the Devon name, and it sounds like it's going to be headquartered here in Oklahoma City. 
I'm not really sure what that means for the WPX headquarters that's getting finished up, that new build there in Tulsa. We'll see. But I don't, like I said, I don't know much about this stuff. But from what I've read and what I've been told, this is a huge deal for the state of Oklahoma. And this merger makes the company a big player in the industry. I understand that there's some logistics to work through, especially when it comes to employees and and all that, the executives. And I wish all those people the best of luck. I got no idea how that's going to shake out. But I know these companies have been hit hard by falling energy prices. We know how much of an impact that has on this state. And it sounds like these companies teaming up is a good thing. So once again, I don't know what I'm talking about really, but smart people I know expressed a lot of excitement about this. Teddy, do you, is this in your wheelhouse? You, this eh. something you want? Yeah, eh, that's kind of where I'm at. It's gonna. Eh, I know it's good, right? I, I, here's what I do know, and this is all. This all predates the coronavirus stuff that hit in mid March. It was not looking good for a lot of the oil and gas businesses before that. And there was a lot of talk about Devin not doing so well and really slowing down a lot of their operations in Oklahoma. And, you know, then the coronavirus stuff hit. So that made it even more difficult. So the fact that you're getting a merger between a couple of of well-known companies going to turn into one of the biggest shell producers out there in the business I think that's a positive for Oklahoma. I think it's a positive for Oklahoma City. And it's going to just fuel the rift between Tulsa and OKC, baby. I love it. Gotta love the rivalry. Now, (laughs) one thing I think we do a good job of, uh, we don't pretend to know a bunch about the stuff that, like, we don't know. So if you are kind of an expert in mergers or in energy companies or – if you can tweet me and Teddy at Ted Layman 11 at Gabe Eichard and tell us kind of like, explain it to us like you'd explain it to a five-year-old basically like why this is good or maybe you don't think it's good. Maybe you think it's bad. Uh, just let us know. I want to learn more about it. Uh, I've read quite a bit about it, but there's a bunch of big words, you know? So I want to know what it means for my Devon shares and my WPX shares with this merger. Is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing? It sounds from, once again, from what I've read, and I'm kind of an idiot, it sounds like that's one of the main things like people are excited about. Like, hey, this is good for the shareholders. So is this a sell, sell, sell or a buy, buy, buy? A great question for someone that listens to this podcast hey. that knows anything about this. I've always been told, buy the rumor, sell the news. So maybe I've already missed my opportunity. I don't know, but Damn I it. think this is fantastic. I think it's fantastic because people seem excited. I'm not sure. Let us know. Tweet Let's us. ride the Let wave of excitement, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. All right, Ted. Episode 47 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. We will be recapping the OU Iowa State game. Hopefully, it's a it, it's a little more fun than the last recap episode. Hopefully, uh, just a reminder: you can hear Teddy from two to six on Sports Talk fourteen hundred, and you can hear me on SiriusXM Big Twelve 
Radio Channel 375 from 3 to 5. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time